Welcome to the RCP Medicine Podcast with me, Dr. Amy Burbridge. I'm an acute physician working in Coventry. And I'm Dr. Hussein Bashir, a respiratory registrar in the Southeast. And I'm going to hand over to Hussein for this week's podcast. Thank you very much, Amy. So uh, I've got a, another personal case, mm-hmm. uh, which has been on my mind for just under a couple of years, actually. Um, again, it's from uh, an acute medical on call. Um, and I just thought I'd walk everyone through the story and uh, just get people thinking about what would they do uh, and I'm sure everyone's been in a kind of similar situation to this so uh, busy on call day you know one of the first referrals um, is 40 year old male um, so instantly going through your head you're you know it's quite a young person why, why are they in hospital uh, but it quickly transpires that unfortunately this is a chap who has had um a malignancy uh, managed by a cancer centre. Um, unfortunately, he's had a lot of relapses. Um, he's had, you know, one, two, three different courses of chemo, radiotherapy, some immunotherapy. Uh, he's now on a trial drug as well. Um, and he had just seen his uh, oncologist a few days ago. And, you know, early signs were that there was some hold up in his progression so he was generally quite optimistic um he got referred to medicine where i was working because um he had a pneumonia uh you know coughing feeling a bit lethargic um and his x-ray showed he had some pretty barn door consolidation in the right lung yeah um infection markers consistent with pneumonia um so all pretty quite straightforward let's bring him in let's give him some iv antibiotics for about 24 48 hours see his response um, obviously inform his oncologist who's in a different hospital uh, that he's he's an inpatient with us um, so I just wanted to sort of pick your brains as as a post-take acute medical consultant yeah. um, if I was your registrar and I said to you that I've got this 40 year old male with a history of active cancer uh, currently on you know fourth fifth line treatment mm-hmm. um, he's got a pneumonia which is pretty obvious confirmed on examination, X-ray, and biochemically, kind of bring him in for some IV antibiotics. Yeah. What What would you say to that? Um, so, from the perspective of the IV antibiotics and the pneumonia, I think that sounds reasonable. Um, I don't know enough about his malignancy, his prognosis, to make any decisions regarding that side of things. Um, you did say that he's on many rounds of chemotherapy and you'd probably want to, to start thinking about getting oncology involved and is there a ceiling of treatment for this, for the, for the patient? And what does the patient know? What does the patient want? Yeah. So what's his understanding of his diagnosis, prognosis and where to go from there? Yeah. So yeah, very pertinent point. So we we did bring him in because he needs, we know he's going to be an inpatient for at least a minimum of a couple of days. So he needs IV antibiotics. Focus very much on his, yes, the oncological history. Is is this curable? Is this not curable? How far along is he? When was his last dose of, you know, um, medication to do with the cancer? Um, 
so we got all this information from his oncologist directly uh, very very friendly oncologist who was very approachable yeah um sometimes that can be tricky <laughs> doing it across the phone it's hard um, yeah but uh, transpired that he was responding well to uh, his trial treatment however it was not curative okay. asking her about the prognosis um the best case scenario was that he had another 18 months um which at the time i thought was quite uh, was longer you know if you're telling someone they've got an incurable cancer but they've potentially got another 18 months i you know take that as a as a positive um and asking the patient certainly that's he was even more positive um whether a lot of this was defensive because he's vulnerable coming in as an inpatient um but he was very sort of uh forceful in saying that no no, no this is just a pneumonia I'm going to get better the trial treatment's going to work they're going to find something else and I'm going to live beyond 18 months mm-hmm. um so that was kind of the picture that we had so he was obviously for treatment um however you do raise a point about how far do you go with the treatment mm-hmm. uh and actually transpire that through the rest of the morning this chap became a little bit more hypoxic um and given the x-ray findings which showed some quite significant consolidation on his chest uh, on his right lung um it was decided that he was for escalation with oxygen therapy so he yeah. he, he actually ended up on optiflow yeah. uh i know again we've covered covered this in a previous episode but you know nasal cannula high flow oxygen yeah. provides a little bit of peep and he actually found that a bit more comfortable mm-hmm. um had his antibiotics had his fluids um, he didn't really have an appetite, but we made sure he was able to eat and drink if necessary. Um, so I keep an eye on him, but Tate gets a bit busier. Comes midday, a few more referrals. Um, you haven't yet been able to post-take him, because uh, obviously you're busy as well. You happy with what I'm managing him with so far? Um so it sounds like you, I mean, antibiotics, you're treating the pneumonia, antibiotics. Um, I assume that you've thought about sepsis and, you know, gone down that sepsis route. I guess something that's going through my head with increasing oxygen requirements, pneumonia, do you need to think about more high dependency, intensive care unit type of care? Yeah. Um, and that's what I'd start to be thinking about. Absolutely. So that's exactly what happened. So he needs optiflow. So he needs to be on the high dependency bit of the acute medical unit. Um, he needs, you know, as good as one-on-one nursing. Yeah. Technically, it's one to three where mm-hmm. this hospital was. Um, and I did speak to intensive care. Mm-hmm. Um, again, usual story. They're quite full. There's um, no beds. Yeah, no beds. They'll have a look at him when they can. Um, it sounds at the moment he's got a single organ failure and he's on appropriate treatment. Yeah gases after the optiflow seem reasonable so they're happy where he is um however it's at this stage where the first difficulty came so how do you discuss with a 40 year old man uh whether he's for resuscitation or not if he doesn't get better do you have to discuss it now is now the right time is there ever a right time yeah i've done it um a few times never gets easier it's always really difficult there's a wrong way to do it i'm not sure there's a right way to do it yeah. um 
it's very personal as, as to their consultant having that discussion how they do it yeah. I think from experience um, however if the patient is not willing to have that conversation that conversation should not be had at that time yeah. because it just causes resentment towards the medical profession yeah. and you have to maintain trust and if that trust is gone it makes things very difficult and I think we also have to look at who else is with him family, partner, children, I think it needs to be done very sensitively in at the right time, in the right place. All the things running through my head, um, my natural reaction was to avoid this conversation. Having a patient so optimistic despite their circumstances does rub off. So his optimism rubbed off for me. Oh no, you will get better from this pneumonia. Um, and that's natural response, yeah, isn't it? That's it's, normal. It's human nature. It's human nature. Um, I spoke to the oncologist again, and she was very honest and said that no 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 he looked really well three days ago so this is quite a shock to see him in hospital so again that was another thing um you know that I bore in mind that okay this is just a little blip that he'll recover from um but he gets sicker so despite treating him for sepsis for pneumonia for uh, hypoxia um he's getting worse so he's more tired quite quickly is this over the course of the day this is over the course of an on-call shift okay 12 hours um me popping in every hour to see him in between other patients um so it's i can't see him every minute but every time that i do see him he's getting a little bit worse of course he's going to be tired of course he's going to be knackered he's got a pneumonia um but something wasn't quite right and and actually prompted me to have this conversation with him about what we do and have another conversation with intensive care. Mm-hmm. The answer from them was quite firm, actually, in that given someone who has a incurable metastatic cancer, um, they are not for intubation or support in their unit. But he has a reversible acute medical problem. Yes. That's a very difficult decision to make because, yes, he does have an incurable malignancy, but he has a potentially curable acute medical pneumonia. Um, However, on the flip side, what treatment for pneumonia would we give him elsewhere that he's not already getting? Um, So that was the difficult trajectory we were on. Absolutely. Um, And then as his only physician that's seen him that day, um, I, I decided to have the conversation about a DNR. So you're not getting better. We'll keep you on the treatment. Let's hope it does turn a corner soon might take 12 hours might take 24 hours um, but we do have to bear in mind that this might not get better in which case um, it would not be in your interest to have someone jump up on your chest mm-hmm. um, interestingly uh, him and his wife were quite receptive to that and I think over the course of his treatment with the oncologist had obviously had this discussion beforehand so it wasn't wasn't as difficult as it as it could have been um so we had a red form signed um again asking you as a post-take consultant so we're treating the sepsis treating the pneumonia treating the hypoxia um he's not for movement to intensive care but they are aware of him he's not for resuscitation um anything going for your mind as a post-take consultant um I think firstly, I'd be really impressed that as the registrar on call, you'd had that conversation with him. 
and made that decision because that's a really difficult decision to make that I would find very difficult. So that was very impressive that you did that. You clearly developed a relationship with a patient throughout the course of the, the on-call and you were the most appropriate person to do that. Um, I think you've, I, I wouldn't do anything different. You've done everything right. Um, now my decision, I guess, as post-take consultant would be, where's the best patient to, where's the best place to look after the patient? Yeah. Um, I'm glad you said that because that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Uh, my very hardworking post-take consultant of the day said, I, I need to see him. I need yeah. to post-take him. Yeah. Uh, and I need to validate your resuscitation form. Yes. Um, so, you know, went for all of those. And it's, it's difficult as a post-take consultant because you, you're trusting your team to provide you the right story. You then see the patient with that story, but also making your own mind up and you've got two minutes to do it. It's very hard. Before you have to repeat it for the next patient. Yeah. Um, and whilst I was also busy as the medical registrar, you, you are right, I, I had built up a relationship with him simply by seeing him every hour about how he's going. Um, so we did post-take him and we did manage to get him a side room. Um, but this was more for a bed sort of state thing because they had a side room in the high dependency unit of the acute medical ward okay. um, rather than anything else. And I think quite reasonably we agreed that let's keep going with intravenous antibiotics because he's tolerating it and let's see what happens. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it then hits, the rest of the shift goes on, more referrals, more patients to post-take. Uh, it hits about half nine, mm -hmm. bit more family on board and he is drowsy now things aren't going to turn and so it was quite a an eye-opening moment i had where i'm now handing over to the night shift uh it was the weekend as well so there's going to be a completely different team that sees him um yes we do have palliative care services but he's not even been an inpatient for less than 12 hours and is still for active treatment in terms of his pneumonia um what do you do? <laughs> and I should stress, my, my post-take consultant has 10 more to post-take. Yeah, it's always the way, isn't it? I think you, I mean, what I would do in this situation, and I have had this situation a few times, in, recently, in recent weeks, I've had this exact situation. And it's, about putting the patient at the centre. So you're using shared clinical decision-making, making sure you're involving the patient in the decision. However, you said that the patient's drowsy. So making sure the family and the next of kin are on board with your decision. Um, it sounds like in spite of full active treatment, antibiotics, fluids, the sepsis six, the patient isn't getting any better. So a decision needs to be made or start to be in the process of being made about do we continue with treatment because it's now going into a night shift? There's going to be fewer patients and fewer members of staff around. And I think we need to, yeah, it's, you have to make a decision either way, continue or stop. Exactly. Um, so we did a bit of both. Okay. So yes, yeah. uh, having known what the patient was, the vibe he was giving off throughout the day uh, and speaking to his very diligent wife, um, we did say that if things were to reach a certain point that we would make sure that he was comfortable. Mm. But of course, we're ensuring he's comfortable now. You know, for example, with the OptiFlow, that's actually helping him, yeah. taking the work of his breathing off. 
Um, we did say we'll keep the antibiotics because although he was tolerating it, it's it's you know it wasn't really harming him. And I think if that was his wish to have it, then then why not? Um, but yes, we did have to have a conversation that he might not make it to the next day. Um, and it's difficult when you've had a whole day with a patient and a next of kin, and then you have a whole host of other people who maybe haven't seen what's happened during the day come at you with lots and lots of different questions. Um, I didn't do the best practice of breaking bad news to them. So as I said, consultant was away post-taking other sick patients. Um, there was no nurse available uh, to uh, come and be part of the conversation. And given the acuity and the time, it was I just decided, you know, I can have a chat with them all because I've built up that rapport. Mm. Um, and then I was really, you know, they're obviously distraught. Um, but because of his background, we're probably thinking about this scenario happening at some stage in the next year. Yeah. And yet here it was. Yeah. Um, Very quick. Yeah, and... and just to lead into my learning point for this, I was really blown away by a question by the wife who said, should I bring our children in? And I said, I didn't know you had children. How old are they? And they're, you know, six, four. Um, and this is 10 o'clock at night with their dad drowsy. Um, and I just, I froze. I, I, I if I'm honest, I can't really remember exactly what I did say, um, but it was something other lines of, of course, you know, come and go as you please, but obviously hospitals are pretty scary places. Um, but the learning point from that was just what, you know, despite me spending 12 hours, you know, checking in and, and that thing and think that I, you know, got to the bottom of his, you know, the picture that you paint, um, there's still some really key details that, you didn't know and, and no one you know no one felt the need to raise uh until it reached a point of really what she was asking you was is he dying yeah i, I think is he going to die tonight I think, I think so it was yeah it's a really good point i think it was her way of saying um is this the end without using those kind of words yeah. um and it yeah I think in terms of the learning point for me it just made me think that you know these difficult conversations and moments, you, you can't shy away from them. And it's... You can't. Just, even if you have to repeat it, which is hard, you have to get it in early um, rather than have it as the last thing that you say on your night shift or for them, the last time they speak to the physician that has been looking after them because the poor night team won't have met him. Mm. Um, so yeah, it, it kind of was, it was a really stand-up moment for me of... The difficulties of having these conversations when you are an acute physician. Yeah. Um, it's not easy to break bad news in other circumstances by no means, but if you've had a relationship with a patient for months, you know, like his oncologist, yeah. um, if you've been had a long inpatient stay, if you're already known to the palliative care team, it can be slightly less arduous, but I think in our specialties when you're on call it's something that's probably the most difficult how you meet someone for the first time and yet you have to bear bad news to them yeah and it's often noisy yeah. and there's people coming in and out and it's it's never ideal is it so i think you have to do the best you can do in the situation that you're given yeah. which you did 
and I think there's no right way of doing things. I think you have to adapt to the situation. So, you know, however busy you are, how your rapport goes with, with the patient. Um, yeah, so thank you for letting me share that with you. Yeah, it's, it sounds like it was obviously a very, it was a difficult case and um, it's obviously had a massive impact on you. And I'm sure if it was to happen again, and it will, because it's happened to me a few occasions, it never gets any easier, but you just maybe deal with the breaking bad news bit in a different way so you take things that you've learned from it and you know adapt yeah absolutely and and again that's probably the final learning point is that the more you put yourself in these situations and have these difficult conversations uh the more experiences and and words you have to draw on in these circumstances so um it's ideal to always watch someone else do it or bring someone with bring someone in with you when you are delivering it because you do learn from each other. Um, we do try to highlight this in a free Breaking Bad News e-learning here at the college. Um, it's just one approach uh, and sort of food for thought about this difficult, uh, most difficult of tasks as doctors. Thank you for listening to the RCP Medicine Podcast. If you want to get in touch, email us at podcasts at rcplondon.ac.uk or tweet us at rcplondon and we look forward to hearing from you. Goodbye.